Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatech compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is December 21st, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome into the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky. I hope you guys are having a great day, a great week, getting in the holiday spirit, the Christmas spirit, whatever you celebrate. I know I'll be celebrating Christmas later this week. Fun times, always a fun time of year. Unfortunately, though, no Bruins. No Bruins games. They're shut down until at least December 27th because of COVID, which is back, which I think people will be very excited because in this episode with Dale Arnold, uh, we did not really discuss COVID at all. <laughs> COVID came up at the beginning and that was about it. Um, instead, we spent the first half discussing this current Bruins team, what Dale thinks of them. Are, are they good? Are they bad? Are they mid tier? Is this a team worth investing in? And, and, and I, I think it's pretty clear, uh, how Dale felt <laughs> through the first 10 minutes. Um, so we discussed the current state of the Bruins and we also got into his new book, Fighting My Way to the Top, the biography of Sean Thornton which is a tremendous book. It was written by Sean Thornton with Dale, uh, but it's an awesome book. I just read it. It took me like a few days to read. Uh, that's how good it was. So if you love 2011 stories, if you love, you know, that old, that, that time in Bruins history stories, you will love this episode. I, 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 I uh, recommend you stay until the end because uh, it will be very worth your time. And even if you don't like that time in Bruins history, which if you're a Bruins fan, I don't know why you wouldn't like that time, but if you didn't, Still listen, <laughs> still buy the book. Um, but before we get into this episode, we'll audible for a second and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts's premier cannabis dispensary, and that is INSA, I-N-S-A. They are the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in even if it's just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from difference between flowers and concentrates to offerings for insomnia and anxiety, or just a re, uh, just a reason to hang out with friends. Insa has a world-class head chef too, and only, I repeat, only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing. The Insa founders are not these bros from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. You know, the old pals from Springfield, Mass. 
So there's another local team to root for, and that is INSA. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just off I-91 beside the MGM Casino, mention that we said to stop by. Mention Bruins Beat or Evan Marinovsky, or even throw Connor in there. Me, Connor, Bruins Beat, whatever. Say that we said to stop by for a sweet T-shirt for one penny. You have a penny. You get a cool-ass T-shirt. Who wouldn't do that? Or go to INSA.com or call 877-500-INSA. Again, 877 877- 500 insa go do those things again i have a bunch of shirts and they're pretty sweet and also it's a good time in there so make sure to go support our friends over at insa without further ado here's my conversation with dale arnold and we're here with dale arnold dale how are you Evan, after about six tries at doing this, I think we got it right. I'm good. <laughs> we did, yes. Yeah. So there were a few tries with this, but we we got the audio synced. We got the it, it, actually people should thank me because for so long that you, we actually started recording a bit and your audio was off from your mouth and I was like, yeah, yeah. I, we gotta we gotta restart it. But uh, we are here, Dale. How have you been? It's been a little while since we've uh, done one of these. I've been doing great, thank you. Uh, retired from radio, as you know, mm-hmm. and uh, just doing Bruins games. Uh, a little bit of a reduced schedule this year as uh, we're kind of winding things down on the TV end as well. But uh, all in all, doing great so far. Yeah, doing great. People obviously love having you in their uh, on their television sets or their iPads or computers every time there's a Bruins game. Getting some time off right now, obviously, because of COVID, which I think none yeah, of us Whether I wanted like. it or not. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Got this little bit of time off. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, the Bruins are off until uh, – te- Right now, it's December 27th. Might go farther than that. Hopefully, is December 27th against the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hopefully, that is when we come back. And well, what it, it's when I'm supposed to. It's when I'm supposed to work again. Is December 27th. But if you think about it, the Bruins haven't practiced even before the shutdown. They hadn't practiced in like four days. Theoretically, uh, they're shut down through the 26th. How do you play on the 27th? If you literally haven't skated in like 10 days. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, you know, you know, you know this and I know this, even after missing a little bit of time with hockey, you get back on the ice, your legs hurt, you're out of, you, yep. you feel out of shape. Even if you've been running, I remember players said this during COVID when they couldn't find ice, like you could ride the Peloton every day. It didn't matter. Your, your legs were spent when you got back on the ice. A hockey shape is so much different. So yeah, I have no idea how they're going to play uh, that game. That is going to be. I'm- there's going to be some slow guys out there. I hope I work on the 27th, but I uh, like everything else during this whole thing, I have my doubts right now. Yeah, who who knows? Um, but so I wanted to have you on. Obviously, you have a new book out, Fighting Your Way to the Top with Sean Thornton. But before that, I do want to talk about this current Bruins team a sure. little bit with you because, hey, you do uh, pre and post game. We hear you all the time with Bruins, and you're a little bit of a Bruins expert, I would say. You've been around a bit with this team uh, a few years. Um, but obviously right now, pre-COVID shutdown, the Bruins middle of the road kind of team. Uh, no one, it's tough to tell, right? Good Western road uh, swing than Vegas, you know, tough game with that. They've been kind of here and there. Tuca might be coming back soon. What do you make of this team? Is this team one that you can see contending for a cup? What, what are your thoughts on them right now? I, uh I've got some concerns about the team as as they're presently constituted, simply because uh, there are a number of players that the Bruins are not getting enough from. 
whether it's Taylor Hall or Nick Foligno or uh, Eric Howla, uh, a lot of the offseason signings have not quite provided the oomph that Don Sweeney and, and Bruce Cassidy expected. Uh, the goaltending has been okay, not great. Uh, I do think that Tuka Rask is waiting in the wings and may be available to them uh, sometime soon after the first of the year. But I think that the issues that the team has go beyond goaltending. And I think that uh, they got to get some guys who, who are starting to pull their weight here and they've got too many passengers right now on this team. You summed it up best, and it's the passengers. It's that a lot of, it's funny, one thing I said before the season was, if this team's going to do anything and make real noise, you're missing David Krejci. It's these depth guys that have to step up, right? Felino, Howla, Nosek, uh, Taylor Hall, uh, Jake DeBrusque. A lot of these guys have to step up to fill in that scoring, right? You don't need, it's like in Moneyball, right? You're not going to replace... Uh, Jason Giambi and those guys and Johnny Damon, but you can find ways to get production elsewhere. And that was sort of the Bruins take on this season was you're going to get production from elsewhere. And it doesn't feel like that's there. And with guys like Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno underperforming, I'm almost curious, do you think there's a chance that, is there a chance that those guys get going? I mean, Taylor Hall, we, we think so, but is there any special line combination you think can get those guys going? I think about the situation Bruce Cassidy is in right now, and his staff, obviously, but but primarily him. Uh, what do you do at this point? Uh, what do you do with Taylor Hall to suddenly turn him into what you thought he was going to be? What do you do with Nick Foligno, who literally doesn't have a goal so far this year, to suddenly make him uh, you know, be what you thought he was going to be? I actually, in some respects, uh, am less disappointed in, in Foligno than I am Taylor Hall because – I had such great expectations for Hall, uh, and, I, and I know that the David Krejci departure to the Czech Republic made a huge difference, but I thought Taylor Hall was going to, maybe not an MVP like he was previously in the league, but certainly was a, a 20, 25-goal scorer, and he's not even in that ballpark right now. Yeah, no, and again, I, I've liked him with Pasternak. I thought that uh, him and uh, Pasternak on the same line have been good, but even then, I mean, the the... You know, there's been missed chances. I mean, how many times, Dale, has there been a one-timer that he's missed or, or an open net that you think he might have and he doesn't? And so, and, and even the, the, the assists, I mean, again, five goals, 14 points in 26 games. That is not good for almost anybody. That's a, those are third line numbers. Um, so you, I just you bring up an interesting point too, because, you know, I've talked about guys who have underperformed. Uh, I neglected to mention David Posternock, who has too. underperformed. Uh, he leads the National Hockey League in posts, both posts and crossbars this year. His shooting percentage is a a mere shadow of what it's been normally in his career. Uh, David Pasternak has not even been close to what this team expects from him. Uh, Marchand has, Bergeron has, Pasternak, Hall, Felino, absolutely have not. Jake DeBrusque has not. Eric Howla has not. In fact, the the forwards on this team who have given you about what I expected, I might have about four names on that list. Marchand, Bergeron, Coyle. I'd be hard-pressed to give you many after that. I My only thought after that would be someone like Anton Bleed because he didn't expect really anything, yeah. and it's fourth line. And again, that's – And he's giving not... you basically nothing either. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly it. So yeah. I, to me, again, I think there's a lot of questions with this team. I also think on D, there's a lot of guys on D who've been overlooked, right? Brandon Carlos had a really rough year. I don't think that was something a lot of people did not expect. I did not, I expected him to be fine this year. 
I'm not even talking production wise. How many times have there been instances in the zone zone and, and so forth where it's just like, not as effective uh, as years past. And Mike Riley's another. And um, so Mike Riley's I, I get, giving you nothing. Mike Riley's yeah. giving you nothing. Uh, I love Matt Grizzlick. He's giving you basically nothing at this point. Uh, you got Charlie McAvoy, who has been, you know, close to what you expected. Um, beyond that, good luck trying to find a guy who you think is next on that list. And so that's the thing. Finding a guy who's next on that list is either drafting or you're getting him at the deadline and the deadline is closest. And I'm curious because this is something I've talked about on Brunspeed a lot with different guests is, well, what is this team going to do with the deadline? Well, you know, and, and everyone says, well, well, go all in for Jacob Chikrin or, or uh, go all in for this one or that one. And I come to the same conclusion. What do you have to trade? Where, what are the assets that you're going to give up for these players? Cause Stadnika's trade value has plummeted and uh, you know, you're not trading uh, Fabian Lysel. You're not trading him, or and you're not trading most likely guys off the current roster. Jake DeBrusque is not netting you Tomas Hurdle. So what? what no, would but you I'd do trade if... him in a heartbeat. I'd trade him in well, a heartbeat. Well, yes, yeah. For for I Hurdle, you trade on, DeBrusque. On the present roster right now, and I I mean this literally. I have four no trades: the top line and Charlie McAvoy, and yeah. that's it. I trade anybody else on the on the current roster. It's valid. And that's one thing that, and this is one topic I'll get to probably later towards the deadline because I don't <laughs> want to waste topics in December. Um, but a guy that, I don't know, the only young guy on the roster who you would realistically trade and has any value is Jeremy Swayman because you have Olmark signed. You'll have Rask potentially signed. That's an idea that I've kicked around in my own head. Like, huh? That's not the worst idea. You don't know, he's, his value is pretty high. Jeremy Swayman's value is very high. I don't know. Again, you have to go for a team that doesn't have a goalie or, or, or needs a strong goalie in the, in the pipeline, but I don't know. Nidderson got, you know, you never know. But that stuff, but is there anyone in the, it, it, what is realistic for what they're going to do with the deadline? What do you think they do? I, I think they're counting on, well, I, I do think Rask will be back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's I foregone conclusion Craig, at this point, it feels like. Yeah. I thought Krejci would be back. I'm not so sure of that. Uh, and that means, you know, add Rask to what you have now and how improved are you? Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but does Don Sweeney suddenly go from uh, buyer mode to seller mode? And and to your point, if you are in seller mode, what do you have to sell that people would be interested in? Because I've already given you four names that I'm not selling. And outside of those four names, what's anybody else going to bring you? Now, I disagree with you a bit about Swayman. Because even mm-hmm. assuming that Tuca's back, and I think he will be, uh, I think that's a short-term move. I think Swayman is the long-term move. Uh, I don't think Linus Ulmark is the long-term solution and goal. I'd trade him in a heartbeat for a team that, that feels that they're a goaltender away and they need to get that guy. I probably would be hesitant to trade Swayman for that exact same reason. As would I. I just think that when you have Brad Marsh in his prime and you have Patrice Bergeron at this stage and, you know, you have McAvoy and I know Poshnok's been performing, but he's another one. When you have that core there, I have a tough time saying, oh, it's time to sell, you know, just because it's there. And I think, you know, you're seeing like the game against the Islanders, right? Uh, last week, if they rebuild, that's what the games are going to look like. <laughs> that's, that's what you got because there's not a lot after those guys. And I think, again, you try to maximize this window as much as possible and just try to go all in for it. Um, cause like, I, I don't love the idea of trading the, I, either. I had a beef with the Vegas game. I did not have a beef with the Islander game. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, no, you, I know. I mean, you've got exactly you. You had exactly what that lineup was able to provide. I thought they played their butts off. Um, I I had no beefs. Vegas game, I had a huge beef with with level and and execution. Uh, Islanders game, uh, you know, given what they had to deal with, and and I know there's a whole lot of stuff going on right now with COVID, and even for the Vegas game, wasn't it? Wasn't it that one where throughout the course of the afternoon there was a very realistic possibility the game was going to get gonged? Yes, and that you that weren't going to play the thing. And, yep. and I think it's hard if you're a player in the NHL to think throughout the course of the afternoon, am I playing today? Am I not playing today? It's easy to say, no, no, no you prepare as if you're going to play. Easier said than done. Uh, I, I think that they thought there was a real possibility they weren't going to get to play this game. Yeah, no, absolutely. But that was a terrible showing. That was awful. I mean, yep. the Islanders came more from the perspective horrible. of what the lineup looks like, right? No Martian, no Bertrand. Yep. Like if you do realistically did sell, I don't know how you, I mean, you get a, we're not even going to talk about trading Martian, but you know what I mean? Like it, the lineup is going to be very bare if you, if you sell off pieces. Um, but I don't know. I, again, I just look at it from the perspective of, I almost real like, again, even last year's team, I didn't feel was a team you go all in on just by how they played. But they got lucky, right? You got Taylor Hall for nothing. You got Mike Riley for almost nothing. And then you reinforced. And Hall gave you something last year, unlike this This is true. And Curtis Lazar was a legitimate piece you added last year. I mean, you got, you got something out of him on that fourth line. So, um, I don't know how this year, I don't know how you're going to, uh, trade nothing and get a lot just given the way the market is. I, this isn't COVID. This isn't Taylor Hall being strapped up in Buffalo. Um, but. Again, I, I I don't know. I don't know how you make this team much better. But again, those are things we'll get to later on in the deadline. First, though, a safe bet is our good friends over at Bet Online. They have you covered all season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season continues the march to the playoffs. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS fifty. To receive that bonus from basketball, football, NF, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the exciting offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Again, promo code CLNS50. My favorite football hold on, thing. I'm, ever. I'm te- hold on, I'm texting CLNS50. <laughs> 50, there you go. You put in the promo code. Sure. It's all that gotcha. matters. Getting that fifty percent welcome bonus. I was gonna say my favorite football story of the past like year, or is twenty twenty really, was you breaking the Tom Brady news. Everybody, that, that's that's uh. Hopefully people don't forget. But I remember seeing you know like Dale Arnold Tom, breaking Tom Brady to the Bucks tomorrow, and I was like, whoa, Dale coming in with the <laughs> with the scoops, the biggest scoop of you know the decade. So every time I think uh, I had, I had a pretty good, I I had a pretty good source. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I was very confident when I went with it. Uh, It was not Tom Brady, but I had a very good source. (laughs) That's all that matters. That's that's all that matters. Um, And he's won a Super Bowl since. So uh, uh, clearly uh, that move worked out. It's funny, you know, before, as we get to this book, which again, here it is. Great cover, by the way. Awesome. Awesome cover. I'll give you a quick story on the cover. Yes. Uh, we were in the, in the process of writing the book. We were nine months into the process and the publisher, uh, sent us a prospective cover and it was a picture of Sean in a suit and tie because he's now, you know, the executive vice president of the Florida Panthers. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I reached out and I said, this is not Sean Thornton. 
I said, in the course of doing the research for this book, I had read an article in a magazine in South Florida. And I said, they had hired a photographer and he did a number of, of photographs. And there was one in particular that has to be the cover of this book. Mm-hmm. You have to reach out to the magazine, reach out to the photographer. You have to buy the rights to this photo because no other photo will work for the cover of this book than this. That's the cover you just held up. And it spoke to you because it's a good cover. It actually is a very good cover to the book. Uh, before we get into the content of the book, because well, actually it's part of it. Uh, the the main thing throughout the whole book with Thornton is his incredible leadership, right? At the lower levels coming up, you know, learn through the steel uh, factories and all those things. And with the Bruins, right? It was, you know, Sean Thornton had a specific leadership style. He was one of many leaders in the Bruins dressing room. And we talked about this Bruins team, this current Bruins team. And obviously uh, the enforcer role, and this is talked about in the book, is, is kind of out. You, it's not really in hockey anymore, right? You don't have the, the, the John Scotts out there anymore. Um, but you do need leadership still. You do need toughness. You need those things. And I'm curious what your perspective is in does the, does the Bruins need a guy with the leadership skills like Thornton? Do you need someone a little bit more vocal who, when Patrice Bergeron's hit in the face per se, is saying, guys, there needs to be a response? Do the Bruins need a Sean Thornton type leadership wise? I'm not trying to sell the book when I say this. <laughs> God, yes. Um, I, I, I was embarrassed by the lack of response. Uh, when Patrice Bergeron got roughed up. Uh, and and to his credit, I guess, uh, to his credit, you know, a guy like Trent Frederick said, you know what, we probably should have done more. Nick Foligno, we probably should have done more. Don't tell me what you should have done. Freaking do it. And a guy like Sean Thornton would have been a guy who did it. At one point in the book, Sean said to me, if there's a hit against one of our guys, even if it's a, a borderline clean hit, doesn't matter. I have to respond. I have to go. And, uh, you know, to allow a guy like Patrice Bergeron to get his nose broken the way he was and to be to be accosted the way he was and to have guys stand around and say, well, I'm not going to do it. Are you going to do it? It was embarrassing. And if this team continues to play like that, they're probably going to have a hard time doing anything. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I also I think one thing is with the, with the dressing room, right? Another theme throughout the entire thing is. You know, Sean Thornton actually kind of disagreed with Zdeno Chara in the sense that you know Chara never used the word rookie. He didn't believe in first, yeah. you know, he didn't believe in seniority and stuff like that. Sean Thornton was very adamant about, you know, I believe that if you've been around long enough, there are things you don't have to do. If you are a first year, there are things you have to do. Do you think the Bruins need a little more of that? Where a guy, you know, you, you, you're, you're telling a first year that, you know, hey, you got to do these things a little bit more, more vocal leadership. You know, I... I think that, that Patrice is more vocal than he ever was in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marchand is very vocal, needless yes. to say. Uh, always has been and, and probably always will be. But you get beyond that level on the team. And if you go back to past Bruins teams, they were ankle deep, hip deep in leadership candidates. From Zdeno Chara to Patrice Bergeron. Go back to the 2011 Cup team. Think about the leaders on that team, Sean Thornton, Andrew Ferentz, you know, Gregory Campbell. Uh, I can go on and on. And this is Chris after Kelly and Bergeron, Mark Recchi. Uh, I mean, there was so many. Uh, and, and I think this team is is desperately lacking in that department. I think they're lacking in the in the ability to respond to things like the, sh- the shot that, that Patrice took. Um, yeah. 
what have they got? Like five fights this year? I think it's, as we're talking now, (laughs) I think it's in the ballpark of five. And, uh, you know, when Brad Marchand is leading your team in penalty minutes right now, you maybe need to look in the mirror and decide whether or not, you know, you need to do a little more. Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, I look at the lineup right now. Again, Bergeron, Marchand at the top, and obviously you have Nick Foligno who came in, you know, hoping that he'd be a leader. But he, again, he's new. Um, By the way, I that... loved the way he responded in the Islander game. Good yes. for him. Started the game, hitting everything that moved. You know, didn't like the shot that David Pasternak took from Matt Martin. Went right after Martin in the faceoff circle. That's what we saw from Sean Thornton and his ilk back in the day, and what this team has been sorely lacking. Yeah, and again, and I also think, like, you look at, and Bruce has talked about this a lot this year, is getting the younger guys to be assistant captains, getting them into leadership roles, and it feels like there needs to be something between them, right? You need, you need your, like, Mark Recchi came in late in his career. He was a good between, you know, you know, he kind of taught Chara how to be a better leader, and Bergeron, like, those guys learned from that. Sean Thornton as well. So, I do think, uh, that this team needs a Sean Thornton-like leader. I'm not going to say, I mean, again, the the enforcer role is kind of carved out, but a leader like Sean Thornton you need. Now to the fun stuff of the book. Now to the the good content. There were, this was this story was not short on stories, that that's for sure. Um I I had two favorite parts of the book. Uh the, okay. the whole thing of Mark Savard was very interesting to me. And how and I didn't know this cuz again, I'm Dale, I'm kind of young. I, I, I haven't been around as long as uh, many I others. Gotcha. <laughs> you a lot got of me. people didn't know what happened. A lot of people didn't. Well, I, I obviously remember the the play, but what I didn't realize sure. was the meeting at Center Ice during warmups, where uh, uh, remind me again, it was uh, Mark, Sean Mark Thornton, Recky and Bill Mark Recky and Bill Garen. I knew it was a, an older former Bruin. Um, met and kind of said, this has to happen because we don't want this to just be a free for all. And it was so interesting to hear the behind the scenes of that and how Sean basically that, that was his job that night was to just get that fight. And the fact that they knew to do that. Um, and then the other thing was the whole thing about Rask and how he's a great guy and a, and a family man. I'm curious what uh, your favorite part of the book was. What, what, what did you love to the story that you love to tell the most? You know, there were a couple of things in there and, and I loved the whole, you know, Matt Cook story, because I love going behind the scenes. Yes. I love, I love knowing things that I, I wouldn't have known otherwise. And it was Zdeno Chara and Mark Recchi and Sean Thornton who met before the game and said, and Sean basically said, nobody else touches this guy. No one. This is me, me alone. I'm going to fight him and it's going to be over. And, you know, for Recchi to go to Bill Guerin and say, Billy, I think we kind of have to do this and he's got to fight Sean Thornton to set this right. And Bill Guerin said, you're right because he's been around and he knows the game. And he went to Matt Cook and said, Matt, you got to fight him for a ship. And, and Matt Cook to his credit, it's the only mm-hmm. time I'll ever say that Matt yeah. Cook and to his credit in the same sentence again, to his credit, he responded, he fought him. He tried to get back up as Sean pointed out, he tried to get back up and I knocked him down again. Good for him. Uh, and, and then it was over. The other part of the, the book that I, I really liked a lot had to do with Sean's 15-game suspension involving Brooks Orpic. Mm-hmm. So we had written the Brooks Orpic chapter. It was done. I had finished it. Sean had told me everything, and we were done. And about a week later, Sean calls me, and he says, 
He says, here's Brooks Orpik's phone number. I just talked to him. I told him you were going to call, and I told him to say whatever the bleep you want to say. And I, to my knowledge, nobody's ever asked Brooks Orpik about what happened with the Sean Thornton incident. And I called Brooks, and we talked. And um, the part that jumped out at me was Brooks said, the thing that bothered me the most was that Sean kind of indicated that he thought I was faking how hurt I was. And that really bothered me. So after I finished adding Brooks into the chapter and had talked to him for a long time and added it, I called Sean back. And I said, I talked to Brooks. It was great. He's, he's going to be in the chapter. But just so you know, he's really upset that you thought he was faking. And Sean got kind of quiet for a minute. He went, holy bleep. That's not what I intended at all. He said, I got to call this guy. And he did. And I think those two kind of worked it out and, and, and you know, took it from there. Uh, but it was an important part of the book for me. And I think it was an important part of the book for Sean as well. Yeah, again, because those guys trained together in the off season. Like th- that was not like two people who had never met. They were pretty much friends uh, prior to. Well, Brooks is one of those of Boston happening. guys, you know, yes. and, and all of the Boston based guys, they all train together down at Warrior. Uh, you know, they're all down there. If you go in the summer now, you know, all the, the Bruins guys and all the the uh, other players in the league who are Boston based or Massachusetts guys, they're all down there skating every single Jack day. Jack Eichel was here last summer. Yeah, that yep. helped fire up the trade rumors. <laughs> yep. So yeah, I, 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 I love this book for, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's funny. You had told me, I think maybe the last time you were on, you teased that you were writing a book. And then, uh, when we finished up, I was like, let me guess who it is. And Sean Thornton was my first guess. I said, I bet it's on Sean Thornton. And you were like, yeah, cause I think you teased like, oh, Bruins fans will love this because they love this guy. And I was like, oh, Sean Thornton. Um, so this is what, how long did this take? Because it's a it's a it's we, a deep uh, book, obviously. We signed the contract in January of 2020 to write oh, the book. <laughs> wow, that feels a like a long time ago uh, now. <laughs> a month later, the country shut down. Yes. Literally, a month later, the country shut down. Um, it was not what we had planned. The whole idea was that I was going to go to Florida, two or three occasions, meet with him there. He was going to come up here two or three times. We were going to do this whole thing. We ended up writing the entire book over the telephone, literally the entire book, because we couldn't travel. We couldn't see each other. And um, when we had the, the, the kickoff book event at Encore Boston back in October, it was the first time Sean and I had physically seen each other in over two years. We'd written a whole book together, but we hadn't <laughs> seen each other. Uh, you know, I talked to him. I talked to his mom and his mom and I talked to his wife and I talked to all these other people, but we had literally not seen each other because we couldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want to write another book that way, but it's the hand we were dealt in it. You know, all things being equal, I think the book came out about as well as we had hoped it would. It was, it's great. No, I mean, I, I, I had, you know, there's no indication of, of that. It's a, it's a great book. Um, and this is your second book in, yeah, a few years because you wrote the uh, "If These Walls Could Talk," if I remember correctly. Three um, years ago, I wrote that one. Uh, at the time, um, Triumph Books said, "You know, the book went great. We're very thrilled. You got to write another book." 
And uh, they said, tell us what you want to write about and, and we'll go with it. And I went back and forth and I had a couple of ideas. And finally, I, I called Bill Ames, who's my publisher. And I said, I want to write a book on Sean Thornton. And you could almost hear the hesitation. And it was almost like, well, you know, this isn't like Ray Bork or Bobby Orr. or You know, this is not a huge name. But I said to him, trust me, this guy's got stories to tell. And he's willing to tell them. And he's willing to say stuff. And uh, and ultimately, when, when we finally finished the manuscript and submitted it, Bill Ames said to me, you were right. It, it was a story we needed to tell. Yeah, oh, it absolutely was. I'm curious for, for you, what were some surprising stories that he told? That What were some things, was there anything he said that kind of you were like, whoa, I, I didn't know that, or you were kind of shocked by? I didn't know a lot of the minor league stuff, obviously. I spent eight years in the American Hockey League uh, with the Maine Mariners. Sean mm-hmm. spent a long time in the minor leagues as well. So we kind of bonded and connected. Um, I, I, I think we both had similar uh, experiences at the minor league level. It was the wild, wild west back then. <laughs> it and, sounds uh, it. It does sound it. Oh, it, it, it absolutely was. And, you know, so I think that that was fun for me. I had no idea till we started writing the book that Sean was named for a, a character played by John Wayne in a movie. Uh, yeah. You know, John Wayne was a boxer from Pittsburgh named Sean Thornton. And I had no idea that it was his grandmother's favorite movie. And she convinced Sean's mom to name him Sean Thornton, and the rest was history. Yeah, no, I, that clearly was a tone setter for the rest of his life. Um, so now with this, I mean, do you plan on doing more books? Do, are there any? Is there any people you have your eye on for potential future books? Any current Bruins that you're like, huh, that guy'd be an interesting. I can think of a few current Bruins who'd be interesting uh, um, stories. Triumph has already asked me to come up with the next one. And I, and I've been working on it. Um, and and like I teased you before, I'm probably not going to say anything because I, we don't have a contract written at at this point. We did with the other one, but, um, you know, there are several people who I think would be, uh, book worthy, uh, and who I think would be fun. I I also have an idea in the back of my head, uh, which has to do with a, a not Bruins centric book, more of a league wide book, uh, and you know, if I can talk triumph into it, uh, let's just say the fans who like the Sean Thornton book will like this one too, because I think it sort of travels the same highways and byways. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, hockey fans will will uh, they eat any hockey book up, and this one should eat up, should eat up. Fighting my way to the top, uh, it's a great book. I highly recommend it for Christmas gift or for any gift, New Year's gift. Just freaking get it, Hanukkah, uh, anything Hanukkah. you want. Get out, get out there. Just get it. Just get it. Just go get it. Uh, Dale, obviously, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we obviously promoted the book a lot, but is there anything else that uh, you'd like people to be uh, uh, watching for with you? Not at all. Uh, working Bruins games with, with Billy and Barry and Andrew. Uh, not as many as I have in the past, but still working. And uh, and that's, by the way, a, a mutual thing. I don't want people to get the wrong idea here. Uh, you know, it's it's we're not, we're not looking at the end of the road at the end of this season, but the end of the road is not in the not too distant future. And uh, just doing that, don't do radio. Going to write another book, but not ready to start that one yet. And that's it. You'll retire when Tom Brady does, which might be never. Uh, Uh, He's going to last longer (laughs) than me, probably. (laughs) Anyways, Dale, always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, For CLS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruinsby listeners have a great rest of your week and 
A Merry Christmas if you celebrate. (laughs) 